Well, um, uh, last time um, we l- we're looking at second, we looked at Second Samuel. Pastor Zeke had us in Second Samuel 11, so we're going to look at Second Samuel uh, chapter 12 tonight. And um, this is one of those uh, uh, groups of scripture to where there's not a whole lot of deep theological things going on here. It pretty much says what it says, and it's pretty straightforward, except there's something here that God really, you know, opened my eyes to, you know, that's something that I, I need to, uh, you know, make sure that I'm, you know, in that place for myself. And so that's how God um, uh, does things. And so, uh, you know, it's a funny thing about what we looked at in chapter 11. That was the whole thing with Bathsheba and all that stuff that was going on with all of that. And so, you know, um, this is the time when... Um, Uh, King David is called on the carpet and God, you know, pops him for what happened. And uh, it's a funny thing about this sort of thing because whenever this sort of thing happens, we're, you know, deep in sin or whatever. And a lot of times we don't really do anything about it until we get found out. Seems like we can drift along for a long period of time within sin or whatever kind of a situation is going on in our life. But then all of a sudden, blam, when it comes to uh, light, then we have to deal with it, you know, and it's like, okay, so, you know, yeah, I got a drinking problem, or I've got a problem with, you know, drugs, or, you know, whatever, but it takes a DUI, or it takes some other kind of thing to get us to wake up and pay attention, you know, or, you know, some kind of a, you know, weird text message, and all of a sudden your spouse finds out that you haven't been completely faithful, and, the, well, yeah, well, you know, okay, so now all of a sudden, You know, these things come to light and they have to be dealt with. And so it would be a lot easier on us if we deal with them before that sort of thing happened. And then we wouldn't be in the kind of trouble that we were and all that kind of stuff. But we don't do that. And King David didn't either. And, you know, the thing about this guy is he is like the hero of the Bible. This guy is is just an amazing person. He was king of the greatest nation of the time. The, 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 the army of, of Israel at that time was unsurpassed. And he carried Goliath's sword. And so he, when he was in, went into battle and he was there, they knew it. They, they could see it. It was there, they, especially the Philistines. They knew when he came into battle against them, he had Goliath's sword. He was the guy. And back in those days, unless you were an archer, when you went into battle with somebody, you looked into somebody's eyes when they killed you, you know. And so if you went up against him, 10 to 1, you were going down because he didn't, you know. And so uh, he was just, you know, an amazing warrior. And, And so the whole armies would run when they would come in, you know. They And especially at this time... With the Ammonites and all that kind of stuff, the Syrians come up to battle against these guys. They just split, you know. When they all of a sudden they started and came into, they just took off. They didn't even hang because they knew they were going to get spanked. So they just split. And so um, there was a kind of a warrior he was, but he was also a sensitive man. He was a poet. He was uh, a lyricist. He was a musician. You know how sensitive the musicians are. You know how they are. You know, and so. You know, um, you know, and so Greg's already weeping up here. 
Uh, and so, you know, he was, he was that kind of a man. He liked to journal, right? He was a journaler because we can read the Psalms and he would like write down everything. He was always crying about something, you know. You could see him and Pastor Z curled up on the couch watching us Nicholas Sparks movie and just bawling about it, you know. I mean, they just, you know, that's the kind of guy he was. He, you know, that was, that, that's him. He was, he was just that kind of a guy, a sensitive person all the way across the board, but at the same time, a warrior. He had no problems collecting up a sack of foreskins, but at the same time, he could curl up on the couch with a Harlequin novel. He was like one of those guys for everybody. You know, everybody could relate to this guy. But man, when he fell, he fell hard. He fell so hard. He wasn't in battle the way he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be there with Joab, and he wasn't. And he was hanging out, you know, in a place that he wasn't supposed to be in. I think that he broke all of the Ten Commandments all at once. I think he took all of them and just said, okay, you know, if I'm going to go down, I'm going down complete. So I, 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 I'm sure that he must have done some of this stuff on the Sabbath. So he probably messed up on Saturday too somewhere in there. So he like broke everything. The only thing that I think that he didn't make a carved image of anything, but then again, Paul the Apostle says that if you, you know, you worship the creation over the creator, then he had his idol there too. So he had it all the way across the board. Every one of the Ten Commandments he broke. But you know, he loved God. And God loved him. And he was a man after God's own heart. And that is kind of the place where we come to with something like this. This is one of those places where, where you really begin to, to see the grace and the mercy that God has for us. And no matter what you've done or where you're at or what has happened, no matter what, God is a God that restores. And that's what we're going to see here. And, and so, you know, as we begin to look at this, we're going to then um, to, uh, to see, you know, just you know, how God restores him in this. Um, you know, but when this all came down, uh, how did he fix it? Did he, you know, confess? Did he go to confession or anything? Did he fall on his knees before God? You know, did he ask for forgiveness or anything? No, he became the big hero and made Bathsheba his wife from the dead warrior that, you know, and everything, and she had a baby and everything, and they probably even called him Uriah. I don't know, but... I mean, you know, he was just like all of a sudden he fixed it all. And he just kind of smoothed things over and he was drifting along hoping that, you know, God was maybe looking the other way when all this stuff down. But he wasn't because at the very end of chapter 11, if you go there and you look there, the last sentence in chapter 11 says, but the thing that David did had done, had done displeased the Lord. And that is a chilling statement. Because we know what's going to happen. We know it's coming. God's not going to take a back seat. He's not going to look the other way. And we're going to examine just what sin is here in a little bit and how it affects him. In fact, let's look at verse 12 here, starting at verse 1. He says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had brought and nourished. 
and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. It's kind of strange, but, you know, you know, hang in there. And then it says, And a stra- traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore four times for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And he was angry. It's interesting how God will really give us this whole sense of, you know, um, you know, a right and a wrong and, and, and everything and how he can appeal to that by using this kind of a story because he uses a pet. You know, and, and you know how we are. You know, you can, you can talk about some kind of, even in the old cowboy movies, Cody Robber comes in and he like attacks some family or something in, in you know, somewhere and, and he kills Slim and, and Sarah Jane and, you know, little Emily and then little Slim Jr. and wipes out the whole family and everyone's like going, man, that's terrible. And he shot the dog. Oh, he needs to be strung up. You know, that's disgusting, man kills the dog well that's what he does here you know he takes us to the barest thing the most innocent the one thing here that is the most innocent and it's this little lamb and it's like this guy's pet to where it's like one of his kids and if you guys are into dogs and cats and stuff and your animals are like your kids then you know exactly how this feels you know personally i don't but that's me Okay, I'm not necessarily a dog cat person, but don't hold it against me. And I don't have any sheep. And so anyways, um, but you know, there's something about the way he tells this story that kind of speaks to me a little bit here because um, however you feel about Bathsheba and as to whether this was a consensual thing or not, personally, my personal opinion I don't believe so. And so I think that uh, he sent guys over to get her, brought her to him, and he slept with her. And I don't think she had a choice. I think that he's the king and he can do what he wants. And he exercised that. I think this proves it. Because God says straight up that the guy came and took the guy's sheep and they did what they did. And so that's my personal opinion However you think of the situation as to whether there was an affair or any kind of an adultery thing going on or or she was consensual in any part of that, God didn't view it that way because when he gave this word to um, uh, David, um, he said that the guy came and took the sheep. And so that's how God views it. And so sometimes how God views our sin and how we do can be two entirely different things. I wanted to think of it as being along this particular line, but it's not. Because God is, is real and he's a realist. And he lays things out in, in a reality that we have to deal with. And so I think that that's how he brings this across. I think he does it on purpose. I think he uses the pet. He uses it where the... the, the you know, the 
uh, pet is taken, and I think that that's why he does it that way on purpose, so that there is a um, an understanding that this was this uh, pet was taken. And I like um, David's reaction here. It's immediate. He's like, this guy's got to die. He's got to restore, and he, he, he's dust. You can imagine if God thought that way too. Praise him, he doesn't. Because if he did, then we would all, we wouldn't even be here. If he'd reacted to sin the way that David did, we wouldn't even be here. You know? It would be like, you know, the... Well, I had an analogy, but I'm not going to do that. Anyways, um... If I just if anybody was going to go into a liquor store or they were going to, you know, the first time you decided that you heck with it and you're going to get drunk or something like that, and everybody would be smoked. You know, there wouldn't be anything. There would just be, if we decided to rob something, even when I was thinking about it, I wouldn't get there. And so none of us would even be here. We would, as soon as our sin happened, we'd be dust and we'd be gone. God's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. And he brings us to a place to where we recognize sin in our life and we deal with it so that we can grow and know him better and trust him to take care of these things. And so that's how he wants to do it. And so praise God that we don't have this kind of uh, a reaction the same that David did. But then... then Nathan said to David you are the man thus says the Lord God of Israel I anointed you king over Israel I delivered you from the hand of Saul and gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah and if that had been too little I would have given you much more why have you despised the commandment of the Lord check this out Look at what he uses as the first thing he says as he deals with with David on this. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? That's the first thing. That's what happens with sin in our life. You know, that's how God views it. A despising of his commandments. And then he goes to do evil in his sight. You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. And you have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. Man, oh man. <clears throat> you know, some time had passed in here as to, you know, whether, you know, and he must have figured that, you know, maybe God was, you know, kind of, you know, going to let this thing slide maybe. But, uh, you know, unfortunately that's not the case. Fortunately it's not the case because god is a just god and we just sang that song uh, sweetly broken that's a wonderful song i love that. i love the way anna sings it too um and uh just you know and there's so much of that song in this thing that we're talking about here because of you know um you know we don't deserve the life that we have and so as 
he begins to relate here, he tells him straight up, I gave you everything. Now, it would be a real drag if you were, you know, like um, the queen of a particular king or you were in his harem or something like that and one king took over another king and so that whole group of women suddenly becomes wives and harem of the new guy, you know. Now, hopefully you would go from one guy that would be, you know, you would go to a better looking guy, you know, or something. They wouldn't look like Santa Claus, you know, or whatever, you know. It would be like, you know, but maybe not. So you'd just be kind of stuck with that. That's kind of a bummer. But anyways, that's not anything to do with this. But um, And so um, he had been given everything. He had been given the whole kingdom and the whole thing. Everything was his. And, and so there was nothing here that... that you know, that uh, he had everything, and if he wanted more, all he had to do was ask for it. He took the blessing that God had given another man to himself. He had just gone and taken it. And he destroyed her life. He destroyed her family. He wiped it out. He murdered her husband. And as we're going to see, her baby from this whole thing dies too. He completely destroyed her family, wiped them out. The ramifications of our sin is so far-reaching many times that we don't recognize it. This is not an isolated incident between a guy and a woman and another guy. That is not the way this happens. And it continues on and on and on as we look at these next chapters and everything. This ramification goes on and on and on in Bathsheba's family just as much as it does with David and in his family. If we have sin that plagues us so and we're just waiting for God to reveal it. Get rid of it now. Don't hang on to it until He pops you for it. Start dealing with it now. And then you won't have to go through what He's going through. Better thing is, don't get caught up in it in the first place. Don't even go there. But being the kind of people we are, we wind up like this. But he tells him straight up, you have despised the commandment of the Lord. We talked about how he tried to break all the Ten Commandments all at once. You know? He just took the Ten Commandments, the law of God. And he was probably going to the temple and worshiping God this whole time. And he was all involved in this. And at the same time, he wasn't following the commandments of God. And when you do that, you despise it. If I allow sin to dictate my life or I'm into willful sin, this book I despise. It's garbage and that's the way I'm looking at it because I allow sin to dictate my life. That's what I'm doing. And that's what he says here. That's what he says David did here is he despised the commandment of God. That's the first thing he says straight up. And then he says you murdered Uriah and then you took Bathsheba as your wife. He goes, and so you despised me when you entered into this sin and you did this. You despised me. And that's where it comes down to. Where is it that what is so important about the sin that's in my life that I have to grab a hold of it and hang on to it and, and allow it to dictate my life to the point to where I full-on despise God for it? 
No, I don't, man. I'm trying to stop. I'm doing better. I, I, I don't, you know, but I just am weak, you know. And it's like, you better stop being weak. You better start trusting God because in your weakness, he's made strong. And so it's now it's time. Now is the time. I can't stay in willful sin all, all the time. I become totally ineffective and I can't be used by God. Does that mean I'm going to hell? No. You know better than that. You've been given the Holy Spirit and sealed by that. He's yours. You know that. But then, you know, David, he couldn't, you know, there's so much stuff going on that he was ineffective in a lot of areas, especially with his family because of the things that he had done. Anyways, I'm starting to preach. I'm sorry. Um, So then, let me just make sure that I'm in the right spot here. So, God passes judgment. He says that there's always going to be war, there's always going to be family strife, and verses 11 and 12 come to pass. They most certainly did because Absalom did this. And this is where it gets really sorry and, and, and sad because Ahithophel was the guy that told Absalom to make a tent and put it up on top of the palace and bring up all of David's wives that he left there and sleep with them in front of everybody so everybody could see it. Ahithophel told him to do that. And then Ahithophel said, hey, why don't you give me 2,000 guys and I'll pursue David and I'll take him out and you will be king. I guarantee it. And you know who that guy was? That was Bathsheba's grandfather. And he was just waiting for the time to where he could then do this and enact this kind of judgment on him because he felt that he had to take care of it. And he was counseled to the king and he was just waiting for his chance. And this is in um, Samuel, 2 Samuel 16. I'm stealing Pastor Zeke's thunder here a little bit. He's going to be mad at me. But uh, when all that stuff goes down, they didn't take his advice, obviously. He didn't send Ahithophel out with the 2,000 guys to take him over. So he went home and killed himself because he knew David was coming back. And when David comes back, he was going to take him out. He knew that. But he was just waiting for the chance because he was here. He saw this whole thing and he was just waiting. He was just waiting for the opportunity to take David out because of what he did to his family. I had a friend one time, he was a, what they call a cook. He cooked meth. He'd been doing it for years. In fact, he didn't even have a job. When he got out of high school, he just started cooking meth. He had a big house, boats, cars. He had motorcycles. He had everything. You know, he made a really good living at this. Well, of course, that kind of crashes down after a little while. And he got popped, and he wound up taking, doing three years in jail. He was with a woman, and they had a baby, but I don't think they were married. She cleaned out everything, split with everything, so when he got out of jail, he didn't have anything. And so he just kind of drifted, you know, wind up with a pretty good job and stuff, but then uh, once uh, he got to a place to where uh, he was making a living and stuff and kind of getting hooked back in with his family again and everything, uh, he had this one uncle that they were, he was at like a little family reunion thing and all of a sudden and he'd been out for a while and you know he was doing pretty good and everybody was happy and you know that he was sober and clean and doing good and this uncle just unloaded on him one time and just told him now how horrible of a person he was because he would do such a thing 
and, and, and all of the stuff that just was inside this guy, it, it was a rage, just came pouring out on him. He was completely blown away because he had no idea how this guy felt about him. You know? You don't know the ramification of sin and how far-reaching it can be into families especially. If you have a drug problem, if you have a drinking problem, if there's other kind of pornography or if there's, you know, if you just like chasing skirts or you like partying or whatever, whatever kind of thing it is, deal with it before it starts to destroy your family. Don't allow it to take over to the point to where you can't function. Or your family finds out and all of a sudden everything is all broken up. I don't know how many guys came to the drug and alcohol, and I'm sure they still do when they come in and they, their wife left them because they just got tired of the drinking or the drug use. And so they're going, you know, I, I got to get my wife back. And it's like, well, you got to get sober for yourself, man. You can't get sober for somebody else. You have to get sober for you, and then you'll stay that way. That's kind of the how it works. Well, then all of a sudden, you know, um, it's been three months. And he's like, well, I've been sober for three months, man. She won't even talk to me. It's like, well, how long have you been drinking? Ten years. Well, you got about ten years to make up. So maybe after ten years, she'll start talking to you again if she's even around. So it's like you got work to do, man. You know, it's an equal thing. And so you got to work it out. But you got to get rid of it. You can't allow sin to dictate your life. We can't live like that. And we were never intended to. And God doesn't want us to. That's why he moves and stuff in, the, in our lives the way he does. So that we will stand strong and be close to him. And you don't allow things like this to go on and on and on. And so, <clears throat> looking at verse 13 here. I thought this was going to be straightforward and I wouldn't be doing much preaching. Man, weird, isn't it? Anyways, we'll let God handle that. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because of this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. The Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and laid all night on the ground. So the elders of his house rose, went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him. And we would not, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do, he may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servant, "Is the child dead?" And they said, "He is dead." So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went down to his own house, and he requested they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell you whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? 
I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Interesting, especially the first two verses that we read here. This is really interesting because he says, so David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord's put away your sin. You shall not die. Okay, cool. We're good? All right, we're good. And you're like going, wait a minute. How can that be? He just said, I sinned. And God said, that's cool. You're good. And then they just went on. That's it. I mean, where's the guilt? I mean, there's got to be guilt here. He's got to be like tore up, right? I mean, I've got guilt that, you know, before I was even saved that I still carry around, you know, still worrying over and whining about and stuff. This guy like murdered people and raped women and stuff. And then he's just like, hey, God, I sinned. Okay, you're good. You're good. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. And so now he's just walking away with this. It's like, how does this work? That doesn't even make any sense. Well, we're going to check this out. And we're going to see just how significant this is because it is extremely significant, extremely significant, his reaction here. It really is. And Nathan, you know, he, he goes and, and, and so he tells him then that the child is going to die. Again, the ramifications of sin because now this little baby is going to die and Bathsheba is losing her child. And so the ramification of all this stuff that David did, she's still a mom, irregardless of how she conceived it. You know, I read an article one time about a woman who had been raped, um, violent thing, you know, and uh, she decided to um, have the baby and raise it because she got pregnant because of it. And so she decided to do that. And it was a wonderful article, and she, she was uh, an amazing woman. And so she went ahead and had the baby and, and was raising him up and everything. And it was, just, it was just awesome, the love that she had for this child, because she felt that in this horrible, violent act, something, she didn't want to continue that, you know. And she didn't believe in abortion, but the, the thing with, um, you know, even for adoption and stuff, she felt that she could be significant in this child's life. And so she chose to have, keep the baby and raise him herself. And so it was a wonderful article, but the really cool thing about it was it was like in the press enterprise or something like that in a newspaper. There was a whole handful of letters to the editor that came in within a few days, and there was a whole bunch of women that had done the same thing. And they were like, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I did the same thing, yeah. You know, and it's, it's wonderful because a life was saved, you know, and, and that sort of thing. And it was just, you know, and so in kind of in that context as you look at this and this child and everything um she's a mom and she lost her child because of this and and i know she knows what's going on and I, I know she does and so i mean we don't know how women find these things out but they know we know that so they know everything you know it's like you know how did you find out about uriah please so it's like no they know everything so um she knows and so it's just sad so david he goes and he fasts seven days you know to try to to you know keep this child he 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 you know he's like on his face and then they the the servants and stuff finally the child dies and they don't even know how to tell him this tells you what kind of a guy he is because they're afraid he might do something whether to kill himself or somebody else 
You know, you don't know what this guy's going to do. You know, you know, he is a violent person, you know. Um, and so who knows, you know, which side he's going to fall on. And so um, then he under, kind of understands that the baby has passed away. So he says, so what's up? Did the baby die? And he said, yeah. So he gets up and he goes in, takes a shower, you know, and stuff, and gets cleaned up, puts on some fresh jeans and stuff. And then he goes to the temple and he worships God. And that's very significant also. That goes right along the lines with what happened because the first thing he does is worship God. And then he goes from there and then he goes home and he gets something to eat and that kind of stuff. And, you know, things begin to, you know, and, and he comes down to, and so the servants are asking him, what's up with this, man? You're like all tripping over this and you're like on your face and the baby is, is dead and, you know, now and everything. And so now you're okay. We thought you'd be all upset. And he's like, going, what am I going to do? I can't bring the baby back. He goes, I was hoping that maybe God would have mercy and would save him and he would be gracious to me. But no, he went ahead and took the child. That's what he did. And so because of that, then, you know, I can't do anything. But he says something that is really a trip here because he says at the end here, he goes, oh. He goes, but now that he's dead, why should I fast? There's no reason for me to fast. The baby is gone. He goes, can I bring him back again? And then he says, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. That means he's going to go to heaven. He's going to see that baby. He knows it. He's not making a flippant statement here or anything like that. He knows this. It's a fact. He knows he's going to be in a place to where he's going to see that child again. He knows this. So now we get to examine his mental outlook here and why this scripture kind of runs along the line of being almost benign. How is it that he can be almost so unfeeling that he doesn't even, you know, seem to care? It's almost like, oh, well, Lord... You know, forgive me. He's just like, Lord, I sinned. Yeah, you did. You're good. You know, and then, you know, he fasts for the baby. The Lord just say, okay, you know. And so, yeah, it's cool. I'm going to see him again someday. But check out Psalm 51. Psalm 51 was written, you know, while this was going on. And when he got popped for this whole thing, and now you get to see the man's heart. Because I, I kind of made a joke about him being one who likes to journal Praise God he does because he writes down exactly what he's thinking right here. He writes everything down to the point to where we can gain an understanding. And if we can get a hold of this, it will change your life. If we can take a hold of this and grasp his outlook, it changes our life. And that's that's a guarantee. Because then we, not that we're going to be all hard-hearted and say, oh, get over it, your kid, no big deal, you know. It's not going to be like that. We're going to be to one to where we can then understand and show love and, and understanding because of the outlook that David has here. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, I'm going to read through this psalm and then we will tear it up some. It says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. 
Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. You should make that into a song, huh? Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. God, these, O oh God, you will not despise. Another one that you got to log in your head there because we understand what sin is despising God. And this is what he's saying doesn't despise him. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. He says straight up here, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Have mercy on me according to your loving kindness. He throws himself completely 100% on God's mercy. And then he says, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. When we receive Christ, we ask for this. We straight up ask God to do this. Blot out my transgressions. You cleanse me from all iniquity, everything. Cleanse me. Sin that is in the past, present, and future. Take it all away. This is the thing that's, that's interesting about this. Do you believe it? Yeah. Because I'm supposed to. No, do you truly believe this to be real? Has God indeed blotted out your transgressions and cleansed you for real? Do you really think that he has done that? That's the thing that's important here because David does. That's what's making the difference in this. That's why he, he moves in the way that he does. And he interacts with people in the way that he does because he truly believes he got saved. And that's what's a trip about this. Because I have a hard time believing this. I have a hard time receiving this. Now, I didn't go and, you know, rape women and kill their husbands and all that goofy stuff. I didn't do any of that kind of stuff. But I've done enough bad stuff to where I have all kinds of guilt and I'm hauling around all the time. And he's like going, get rid of it. There's no reason for that because I've forgiven you. And so there's no reason for me to be carrying this stuff around anymore. 
You know, they're, they're, you know we, we take all kinds of stuff, antidepressants and all kinds of different things, and we have all kinds of things going on in our life and going to therapy and different stuff to try to deal with life and all the things that's going on and stuff. And he's like going, I'm forgiving you. Believe it. Live it as if you're believed. It's real. He goes in and he goes, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sins always before you. And then he acknowledges that only to God has he sinned. Wow. Yeah, I'm a jerk. It doesn't take a real stretch for you to believe that, does it? And if you don't believe that, ask Lori. Because I am. I'm just an ornery person. Sometimes I'm a nice guy. But then sometimes I just have a switch. You know, it's unfortunate, but I'm like that. You know, now after 38 years, she's kind of used to it a little bit. She'll let me know when I come to that spot. But, you know, I'll get nasty, I'll get mean, I'll do something dumb. It's always my fault. I do mean things, say mean things mostly say things i don't really do mean things anymore just say mean things she goes you know and so then i'll apologize and say i'm sorry and she goes okay you know that's yeah you know but really the one i need to be apologizing to is god because she is his child first and when i do mean things i'm really despising him and in that my you know she says it's okay and i'm okay with it and i go on down the line but i really need to come before the father and lay it out and say this is what i did this is the way i act and i need to fix this and he says yes you do you need to stop that and you need to get over it because you know this is you know you don't need to be acting this way this is the kind of thing that something like psalm 51 can do for us is begin to get us to start thinking in a, in a reality instead of in a religiosity kind of a thing to where I'm just kind of going through motions. This is the reality of Christ. Of Christ. Because he died for our sins. As we go along here and we look, he goes and, and he says, you know, that I've done evil and, and that, um, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. He wants, he's acknowledging to God that his sin and, and the things that he's done has caused God to move in such a manner that he's blameless. And, and that's really hard to do. How many times have people said, and you've talked to them, or maybe you've felt it before, why is God doing this to me? What's the deal with that? He's saying, you know, you're blameless. You didn't do anything to me. You know, I'm the one. And so we need to just wait, look up, and keep our eyes on him. And so then he goes and he says, you know, um, that I was born in sin and that sort of thing. And then he says in verse 7, purge me with hyssop, which is a, a ceremonial type thing to be clean, and then wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And you are, because of the blood of Christ, you are whiter than snow. You already are because of Jesus. Because he died and rose. And that's ours forever. And so we have that. And so we don't have, we, we, the, all of this even is more for us than it was for him at the time. 
And then he goes, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones may be re, you know, healed and, you know, and rejoice and hide your face from my sin, blot out all my iniquities, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me, make me right again. That's what he's saying, make me right again. I want a pure heart. I want to be back to where I was with you, walking the way it was. I want joy again. You have joy. Has past sin robbed you of your joy? No. No. Ask Him to restore it. And He will. He will. Because He did it for David. He did it for David and He will do it for you. And so... No, don't allow past sin to rob you of your joy. And then he says, don't cast, cast me away and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And that can't happen to us, can it? That can't happen because we're saved. We're bought by the blood of Christ. The Holy Spirit is ours. We've seen this before. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's ours forever and it's not going anywhere. Oh, we can grieve him, and we do. But no, it's not going anywhere. He's there, and he's going to be taking care of us. So he's not going anywhere. And then he says that he's going to tell everybody about it, and sinners are going to be converted because of it. He's going to make it open, straight up, and he's going to tell people, and people are going to get saved. Man. He's going to take something that's lousy and he's going to make it to the point to where he's clean, he's walking tall, and now his people are going to get saved because of it. Now we begin to understand a little bit about how he is, but check this out. Look at verse 14. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. This is the coolest thing here. When I was looking at this, I... I um, let me read this um, verse to you from the New Living Translation. Check this out. Verse 14, when it says, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Look how they put it in the New Living Translation. He goes, Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves, then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Do you believe that? This is the important thing here. Do you believe that you're really forgiven of your sin? This is where it comes down to. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is the reality that's, that's there. And David believed it. 100%. It was his. And he knew it. And so when he said, Lord, I have sinned. And he says, Yes, I know, and you're cleansed from your sin. He believed that, and he took it. When he asked God to blot out his transgression, he believed that he really did it. And this is the place that we come to where we can now say, do I really believe that God has forgiven my sin? And if he has, then why are we still carrying all this junk around like he hasn't? 
And why are we still living in all kinds of guilt and everything else that's going on and all around us and swirling around and I can't move because of guilt that's going on in my life? Yeah, but you don't know what those guys have done to me. Get rid of it. Because God doesn't want us in hate with other people either. And he says, that's sin and you got to get rid of it because we're supposed to forgive the same way that we've been forgiven. And if that's the case, then I'm harboring sin by holding on to hate that I have for other people. He keeps telling me to get rid of this stuff so that I can have that relationship and walk with him in reality. And that's where he wants me to be. That's why David said, one of these days, I'm going to go see him. He's not coming back to me. He knew he was going to heaven because he was saved. Because he says right there, the God that saves. He is my Savior. He knew it. He knew he was saved. And because of that, then he knows that he's forgiven. And he lived a life as if he was. Wow. And you know what? I'm guilty of this. Because I hold on to old stuff. And I carry around old burdens. And I got old sin that's there hanging out. And all kinds of other garbage. And he's like going, drop it. Come on, man. Why do you keep on with this stuff? There isn't any hates or there isn't any things that I have. There's no reasons for this. Get rid of it. And if there's sin plaguing you that's major in your life, that's affecting you, drop it now. Don't hang on to it. Don't wait for God to come and say, you know, with Nathan and a sheep and all that stuff, you don't need that. Start taking care of business right now. And start dropping off this job. So back in 2 Samuel here, Looking at verse 24, he says, Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him, and he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. And so that means that he's beloved of the Lord. And so um, uh, as God is one who restores And so he's restored her. He's restored him. He's given them another child. And this one becomes the wisest man that ever lived. He became the great king of Israel after this. And, um, you know, there's just a tremendous, um, you know, story there. And so God, as he, you know, moved there. And so uh, Solomon and, and, you know, um, so there is a restoration that happens here. so in verse 26 now Joab fought against Rabbah of the people of Ammon and took the royal city and Joab sent messengers to David and said I have fought against Rabbah and I have taken the city's water supply now therefore gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it lest I take the city and it be called after my name so David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah fought against it and took it then he took their king's crown from his head its weight was a talent of gold. He's saying that's probably about 75 pounds. That's a heck of a crown, you know. I mean, come on, you know. I don't know who could carry that on their head, but, you know. Anyways, interesting. 
and uh, had precious stones and it was set on David's head and also he bought out he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance and he brought out the people who were in it and put them to work with saws and pick iron picks and iron axes and made them cross over to the brickworks so he did to all the cities of the people of Ammon then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem so Joab calls him up now you got to kind of think about this a little bit when they laid siege to this city and when all this stuff started going down and everything and Joab was was laying siege here this was before the whole thing happened with Bathsheba then she got pregnant and had a baby and then the baby died and then she got pregnant again and she had another baby you're talking a couple of years here that this guy was laying siege to this city that's a long time Again, the ramification of sin. I'm sure that God wasn't blessing them as they were moving along because of their king's sin. And so there was things going on there that then things were progress was slow. And I know Joab wasn't happy about the way things went because, you know, he was a loyal guy. But at the same time, murdering someone on purpose, you know, was, you know, probably put a real bad taste in his mouth, especially the kind of guy Uriah was, because that was one of his best, you know. And so, you know, it'd be kind of like, you know, I want you to break the leg of your star quarterback, you know, because I want to sleep with his wife. And it's like, oh, man, that's a bummer, you know. Okay, you know. And so, you know, he, he just, the whole thing was just lousy, the way that it went down. Well, he took the water supply finally and everything started kind of laying in how it was supposed to go and everything was looking pretty good and so he called Dave up David and he says hey you got to get out here man because if you don't get out here and take this city yourself they're going to say I did it and you know I'm going to get the credit for it so I don't think that's going to work out for you so you need to get over here and take care of this or they're going to say I did it and that doesn't, that's not how this whole thing works you're the king you do it supposed to be you are the one that's doing it and so he goes out there he takes the city he gets the credit for it he gets the big killer 75 pound crown and all that kind of stuff and then everything kind of lays back into place but the very next chapter his family problems arise and things start happening over and over and over and over again as his family struggles and everything and the ramifications of this the ramifications within Bathsheba's family and even with Joab and the other guys and the soldiers and everything else that goes on this thing just keeps reaching out further and further and further there's consequences to our sin and even though we get restored by God consequences of sin comes up and we have to deal with them and so we deal with them in Christ the same as if we it was anything else we deal with it the same we trust him and he sees us through it even when we know that uh, we've done wrong and we come to that place to where um, <clears throat> we have to deal. So for David, it got that at this point, it was back, life was back to normal. He was in the battlefield. He was jamming, um, having kids and everything. So we kind of come down to a place where no matter who you are, what you've done or where you're at, God restores. He absolutely 100% does. And, there, and when he does, though, there's got to be true repentance for this. It can't be, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry again. Lord, I'm sorry again. Oh, yeah, you know, doesn't the Scripture say he's got to, you know, 
forgive me 700 times. He's going to forgive you for a million times. But it doesn't have to be that way. And we don't have to stay in that thing. True repentance is absolutely necessary for forgiveness. And we have to turn from our sin and walk away. That's what he did here. That's why that whole group of Scripture seemed, you know, kind of benign because he received the forgiveness. And that's where we're at. Receive the forgiveness that you have. If you've received Christ and you're saved, then you have the forgiveness of your sin. That is a guarantee. Live it. Live in the power of Christ. Live in the power of the blood that has redeemed you. Live as if you indeed are truly saved. And if that is the case, then you have victory and success in your life because then that's how God is, is where He's brought you to. And don't allow sin to dictate your life. If that's the case, get rid of it. And then once that happens, don't live in guilt and shame of past because He has removed that. And He has blotted out those sins and transgressions. And there is no more guilt and shame in that. Live as if you're, He has indeed turned His face away and looks at your sin no more because that's the what happened. And if you forget this stuff, Psalm 51, it's easy to remember. Go back in and reread it over and over and over again until you own it. Because it is indeed yours as it was King David's. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord. Lord, we come to you. We come to you uh, um, desirous, Lord, tonight. Father, we want to be open and receptive to, to all that you've uh, done and all that you've given, Lord. We want to recognize and receive the forgiveness that you have for us, Father, that you've already done in our lives. Lord, you've blotted out our transgressions. You've turned your face away from our sin. By the blood of your precious Son, you've removed that from us as far as the east is from the west. Lord, we desire to live that. We desire to live joyful uh, guilt-free lives and not to be caught up in, in the past sin and such, but to, to look forward, Lord, to what you're going to do and how you're going to move and to just uh, continue to grow in you and to know you better. Lord, we just ask that you will uh, strengthen us and um, open us up to receive from you all that you have for us. We love you, Lord. We honor you. We glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.